Welcome to A Disciple's Point of View, a podcast where we go over a variety of topics related to Christianity. Hello, everybody. Welcome to A Disciple's Point of View. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in this week because I know, honestly, last week I was just overwhelmed. I just got caught up with life and work and stuff like that. And I wasn't able to actually come and actually create these podcasts. But I'm like, you know, by hook or by crook, I'm going to do this because it's something that I feel that God has called me to do and something I enjoy doing very, very, very much. So we're going to jump right back to where we were in John chapter 8, where we were talking about how Jesus is the light of the world. And now basically he had the absolute authority to speak authoritatively on basically transitioning Israel from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant in fulfillment of Bible prophecy, of which he was the object thereof. And in verse 31 of John chapter 8, basically he's the, the subtitle here in the English Standard Version is, The Truth Will Set You Free. Okay, So we'll go ahead and actually kind of give you a little bit of context and back up just a few verses here. Um, whereby we can kind of give context of what we're going to talk about this week. So in verse 28, it says, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, that I do nothing on my own authority, but just, but rather speak just as the Father has taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, Many believed in him. So obviously, if you're somebody who is a human being who grew up in uh, Galilee, right, which was a section of Israel at that time in ancient Israel, people knew who you were. It would be as if I was saying, I am the light of the world. (laughs) Me, disciple, I am the light of the world. And people would look at me and go, "Uh, we know who you are. You know, it's like, uh, how do you claim to be God in this sort of thing, right? So in verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The key thing is, is obviously is being a Christian, you perpetuate in your belief. You know that you're saved because you perpetuate in the faith that you have because you know such as what Peter would say in John chapter 6. You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? There's nowhere else to go. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto unto the Father except by him. Every other religion in the world says do. Jesus says done. So in verse 33, they answered him. So basically, you see a kind of a, a... a dichotomy forming here where Jesus is opposing the religious leaders of the day. He is obviously challenging the religious thought of the day. So obviously, just as in our modern times, say with Elon Musk, for example, who is trying to buy Twitter, we now see the attacks ramping up on him, right? Likewise, you know, it it was nothing, that's nothing new because Jesus is challenging the status quo of the religious order in ancient Israel, of which they are currently under the dominion, by the way, of the Roman Empire. And that's going to come into play here in just a few more verses. In verse 33, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? 
So I said it's going to be a few more verses. It's actually this next verse right here. This is laughable. Absolutely laughable. They're under the dominion of the Roman Empire, by which they were under dominion therefore previously under the Greek Empire, under previously under the Medo-Persian Empire, and under previously the Babylonian Empire, which goes into Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. Whenever they were going, the kingdom of Judah went into the Babylonian exile for 70 years, by which they were allowed to return to the land, like God said in Ezekiel chapter 37, for my name's sake shall I act, not because of you, not for anything that I owe you, but for my name's sake, because he had made promises that Messiah would come from the house of Judah. See also uh, Genesis 49.10 and Micah 5 verse 2. So obviously, you know, God would end up allowing the kingdom of Judah, which comprised of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. The other 10 tribes had been forever exiled 120 some odd years earlier, never to return to the land. Judah, the kingdom of Judah was allowed to return. Like I said, God said, for my namesake shall I act not because of you. And the religious authorities now have the audacity to tell Jesus, we have never been enslaved to anyone. That you can't write, you can't make this stuff up, people. I mean, this is this is realistically just as laughable as it gets, because it, it's just laughable. Anyway, in verse thirty-four, it says, "Jesus answered them, truly, truly." And by the way, Jesus could have gone off on that. He absolutely could have, but he didn't. He went another way. So it says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin." The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's like I've said before. If I am acting in the steed of my my dad or my mother in my, my parents' household, say, for example, for some reason they can't act in uh, a decision that has to be made, I then have the authority to act because I'm in their line, in their lineage, right? I am of their household. It's the exact same idea here. Jesus is in the line of the Father. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. One like a son of man, approaching ancient of days, and received a kingdom that shall last forever and ever. And that is why Jesus constantly refers to himself as the Son of Man. He is the Son. He is, um, in First uh, Chronicles uh, chapter 17, I believe, there's a prophecy about basically how the offspring of David would be the son of God. Literally, ipso facto, would be the son of God. So, Jesus is making this assertion. If I set you free, then you will be free indeed. In verse 37, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak what I've seen from the Father, and you, do, and you do what you have heard from your father. He's about to make some stinging accusations here because Jesus, again, like I've said in previous podcasts, he goes to the heart of the matter. He sees beyond what people can normally see. He sees the intent of the heart. And that's why it's like oftentimes people have said 
that the book of John or the gospel of John is the only one that asserts that Jesus is deity. That's false because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what's called the synoptic gospels, oftentimes Jesus would say he perceived what they were thinking in their hearts. Who else has ever been able to do that in the biblical narrative? Nobody, not even the prophets. They were told by God and they repeated the words. Jesus actually sees what they're thinking and feeling and responds in accordance as if they said it out loud. That's a very key thing we have to take away, that Jesus is not a prophet merely. He is the Son of God. He is the Word made flesh who made his dwelling among us. In verse 39, it says, They answered him, Abraham is our father. So it's like they're trying to make the assertion here, Oh, well, you know, we're of the house and line of Abraham, and, you know, you have no standing trying to accuse us. But Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the work Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did, right? So already it's like Jesus is cutting to the heart. It's like, you know, he is able to disseminate and tear apart their arguments before they even try to start. In verse 41, you are doing the works your father did. You know, he's going to make the stinging accusation here in just a second. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So that's a dig right there. It was widely believed that Mary was conceived, or I should say rather backing up, that Jesus was conceived by Mary in an act of adultery. Okay. Whenever uh, people were betrothed under ancient Jewish custom, they were as good as married. They had to get a divorce to not um, basically continue in the marital contract. Uh, they were bound to each other, even though they weren't quite married yet, and they couldn't partake of the marital bliss, so to speak. Um, they were bound by marriage. Hence, they had to stay faithful to each other lest they be guilty of adultery and, and potentially be put to death if they were caught in the act, or if they weren't caught in the act in the book of Numbers, the prescription was to kill the child, which was the fruit of adultery. Okay? It was widely believed that Jesus was the fruit of adultery because Mary was found a child before Joseph and Mary were actually married while they were betrothed is when Mary was conceived of the, or when she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit according to the scriptures, and whereby she was impregnated by the Son of God, right? So that was the story that was going around about Jesus, and that's why they just said, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. So that was a dig on Jesus. In verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your Father, then you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear my word. Jesus was again challenging the establishment. He was challenging the religious authorities of the day. He was holding them to account for their many traditions, which oftentimes contradicted the word of God. Constantly, Jesus would perform miracles on the Sabbath, right? Jesus would say, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath, meaning 
that the Sabbath was given so that man could rest. Otherwise, if you don't tell human beings they have to rest, they'll just go, 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 go until they absolutely burn out. God knew this. He created the drive within us to be able to excel, to push and push and push, right? And so he said, I'm going to make a day, i.e., you know, the Sabbath, where everybody had to not work. But the religious authorities of the day would say insane things like, you know, this is work or this is work or this is work. Jesus would sit here and say, you know, I healed on the Sabbath. Is it is it lawful to 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 save life or to allow it to perish? And the religious authorities were like, you know, oftentimes they were speechless. They didn't know how to respond apart from we're going to kill this guy. Right. So in verse 44, you here's the stinging accusation. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies because i tell you the truth you do not believe me which uh which one of you convicts me of sin this is the key thing here okay jesus did not commit any sin whatsoever. He perfectly kept the law. That's why he is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the absolutely spotless Lamb that could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins as the law and the sacrificial system overshadowed that he would actually do. Right, And that's why whenever his trial was going on, right before he was crucified, they had all sorts of people contradicting each other and, you know, nobody agreed with anything because they were trying to make stuff up about him. Finally, the high priest stands up and goes, do you claim to be the son of God? And he said, Jesus basically said, you have said so. And of course, they're like, what further need do we have? He has committed blasphemy, right? So it was a sham trial. But the thing of it was, is they couldn't convict him of anything. If anything, the fruits of his life actually proved he was a son of God. But because he merely say, stated that, that he was, even though the prophecy clearly predicted that the Messiah would be divine. See also Micah 5 verse 2. See also Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, see also uh, Daniel chapter 7. See also Daniel chapter 9, right? So, I mean, you know, there's a litany of Bible prophecies, First uh, Chronicles 17, that we could point to to say that the Messiah would be absolutely divine. And when Jesus says, yeah, yeah, I'm the son of God. Oh, okay, we're going to kill you now. I mean, you know, they just simply didn't like what they, he was doing. They simply didn't like that he was calling them out for what he was doing and what they were. So, in verse 47, who is of God... Whoever is of God, rather, hears the words of God. This is why you do not hear them, because you are not of God. So we're going to move into the next bit of text here that is going to just blow the lid off everything, right? I said already, I made the assertion, Jesus was divine. He, the Messiah, was prophesied to be divine, right? So we're going to go into it. Not only is Jesus calling them out for them wanting to kill him, but it basically is saying, Your guy, you guys are disciples of Satan. I mean, you want to talk about he had no you know, uh, political correctness to him whatsoever. 
He called it like it was, right? In verse 48, the Jews answered him, are we right that you were saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? It's like, you know, they just go from one accusation to another. They, they accused him of being uh, conceived in sexual immorality. And now it's like, well, aren't you a Samaritan and don't you have a demon? Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anybody keeps my word, he will never see death. So already that's kind of weird to say, right? But obviously whenever Jesus would say later on in other gospels, he would say, you know, destroy this temple and I would raise it again on the third day. But the temple he spoke of was his body, not the actual physical temple that they worshiped in during the times that Jesus was actually walking the earth while the old, old covenant was still in play, right? Jesus is now saying here, he will never see death if he keeps my word. In verse 52, the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anybody keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be if that wasn't evident to them already, right? In verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. But if, or rather, it is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. In verse 55, But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Jesus just never fails to just make me kind of chuckle in a way. And he, and he realistically holds me in check, too, because, you know, if he's willing to call out the religious leaders of the day, he's going to call me out for what, the things that I do wrong. He's going to call you out for the things you do wrong. But it's always in to get you to a place of repentance. Jesus is only talking to them this way because he knows their heart is so heavily against him to the point that he called them disciples of Satan. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to end his life because he was proving that he was the son of God and he was threatening to upend their religious rule over the nation, be as pathetic as it was that they were in servitude of the Romans at that time. They were no longer the, the, the shining kingdom of David that they were under, the, under King David, right? That Messiah was supposed to return them to. And that's largely why they were rejecting Jesus because it's like, all right, well, King, you know, the offspring of David is going to come along and he is actually going to restore the kingdom of Israel to its rightful place. And we shall be the banner to the nations once again. But Jesus is basically going to the point in Matthew chapter five, where he said, you know, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. He's going to the absolute crux of the matter. He's going down to the motivation that causes sin in the first place, right? And he is cleansing the nation of what they are doing, or at least actually giving them guidelines for what will be the standard going forward, because he would die for the sins of the world. And once a person had, a, had faith in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit would come into their lives and allow them to live the life of the new covenant that... We, he, his law would be written on our hearts and on our minds and we would want to instinctively do the things that pleases God and that we would be cut to the heart whenever we started deviating from that path like a sheep that had gone astray. See also Isaiah chapter 53. 
So, here is going to be the really interesting part. This is so super interesting here. I would have loved to have been there to see the reaction because this is going to be priceless. In verse 55, I uh, said, but you have not known him. I known him. At, well, I've already read that part. In verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. What? Huh? <laughs> Abraham had long been dead at this point. Jesus is saying, and keep in mind, they knew who he was. He grew up, right? He was born and he had a teenager time period. He went through all the customs. He was probably about 31, 32 by this time, right? Because it's largely believed that when he was 30 years old, he began his ministry, right? And by about 33, he was crucified. So he was probably 31 or 32 at this point. And they knew him. He grew up and he's saying that Abraham saw his day. Already it's like, what? In verse 57, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Here's the big kicker. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, uh, before Abraham was, I am. That, my friends, is huge. He is evoking the name of God, Yahweh. I am that I am. He is claiming that for himself. He is saying, I am God. This is why you can't freaking say that Jesus was a great man. He was a great teacher, but I don't think he was this or that or anything else. Honestly, there's only two options available. You know, uh, years ago, I think it was Josh McDowell uh, in More Than a Carpenter said basically he was a Lord, liar, or lunatic. I say he's either a Lord, he's either the Lord of the universe or he's a liar and he's the worst man that ever existed. You know, you could, you know, put Hitler, uh, Pol Pot, uh, Stalin, all those guys together that have committed atrocities throughout history. And they don't hold a candle to Jesus if he's not who he says he is. Because he's led millions upon billions astray if he's not who he says he is. He claims that he is Yahweh. In verse 59, they understood him very well. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It was not his time yet. And that was not the prescribed way that God would have Jesus die for the sins of the world, all right? So it wasn't a factor of he ran away. Oh my gosh, I got to run away now. I've claimed to be God, so I got to run away now. No, it was that his time had not yet come. As he said throughout many uh, other points of the gospel that, you know, he, he had an appointed time. He had an appointed way that he was supposed to go. He had an appointed way he was supposed to die, all right? He understood this well. The religious leaders understood clearly what he was saying. You cannot ever say that Jesus was simply a good man. He was either the Lord of the universe or he is a liar and the worst person ever. Even if he was a lunatic, that still makes him the worst person ever throughout history and has led billions of people astray if he's not who he says he is, which I believe that he is because of what he, the life he lived. You know, I could sit here and say, hey, disciple, I am the Lord of the universe. You need to worship me. I could say that all day long. 
But if I can't substantiate it, then it means nothing. Jesus was able to substantiate everything he said. He was able to back it up with miracles. Nobody can. Nobody could uh, say anything against that. It was an absolutely ipso facto end of story fact. People knew that he did this, right? And they had no way they could defeat him except saying, well, we're not born of sexual immorality and aren't you a Samaritan and don't you have a demon? You know, you're saying all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, yeah, that would mean something if he couldn't back it up, right? And ultimately, the proof is in the pudding when he was crucified, when he was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. Interestingly enough, though, he didn't appear to anybody who didn't believe in him from that point forward, which is why the story goes forward to this day that basically his disciples just took him out of the tomb, somehow broke the Roman seal, defeated the Roman soldiers who faced the penalty of death should they fail in their charge of guarding the tomb. Somehow they, they, they beat them all up, professional soldiers who killed for a living. Uh, and was known as the most brutal army on the face of the planet to that point, to the point that they were called the Iron Legion, right? Somehow these ragtag disciples were able to overpower the Roman guard that was placed at his tomb, rolled a probably one to two ton stone away, and then stole Jesus's body, and then went on to die horrific deaths. Horrific. If you know something's a lie and you're about to be put to death for it, you're not going to be sitting here going, I'm sold in my lie to the point that I'm going to die for that which I know is false. No, you're going to sit here and say, I know Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Lord. He died for my sins and he rose from the dead. And I am sitting here telling you the new covenant is now in effect. And it is simply belief and trust that saves you. And you work from that point. It can't be more clear than that, folks. It can't be more clear than that. So if you wonder how in the world belief and trust actually works and how it actually is placed into effect in your own life, I want you to listen to the next segment coming in in just a few seconds. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process if you will to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart by simply saying lord jesus i believe that you died for my sins i believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead and now i confess you as lord please take control of my life and i want to follow you 
for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.